0: Good morning. It is good to see you. It's a blessing to be here again. I'll share God's word with you this morning. Welcome to our visitors. I hope you get a blessing from today's message. We're going to continue with the, the Revelation today. And if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse horse bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the privilege of having your word this morning, Lord, and being able to meet in this way, that we may learn from your precious word, and being able to grow thereby and produce fruit that would give you the glory. I pray now that uh, our hearts would be ready to receive your word, that our minds would be settled, focused on your truth, that it may be planted once again within our hearts, that we might grow as Christians into the mature people that you would have us to be. Lord, I pray that you bless me now, as I attempt to share your word with my brethren. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A few weeks ago now, uh, we looked at the first part of uh, chapter 14 and it was specific, specifically talking about the 144,000. If you recall, the 144,000 were standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion and there was, was much rejoicing. It was a picture of triumph for them. They had gotten also, they had gotten victory over the beast. They had remained faithful till the end and now they stood with Jesus Christ on that mountain. And it's a beautiful picture when you look at it, because through all the darkness of the, uh, of the age, of the tribulation period, um there are these images that John gets when he says, I looked and behold, heaven was open to me. So John gets visions, one moment of heaven and the glory that's waiting. And then he gets other visions of the earth and the destruction and the evil and the desperate plight of Christians and those who had given their hearts to the Lord when they come under persecution from the Antichrist. And these 144,000 had remained faithful till the end. And the Bible calls them the first fruits. What are the first fruits? Who's worked on a farm before? I haven't. (laughs) So I can't speak from experience here. What I do know is I've heard a number of times on, the, um, on the, the TV and on the news, when the first harvest of the cherry comes out, they make a big deal about it, don't they? And they pick the best cherries and they, they put them in beautifully presented boxes and they actually auction them off. And they go for extraordinary amounts of money. They are meant to be the best. And the first fruits in this case are the first, not only the first ones that come in, but are the peak are the best. And that refers to these hundred and forty-four thousand. But what about today? What are we looking at today in terms of verse fourteen to chapter fifteen, verse four? Well, we're looking at two harvests. We're looking at the general harvest. So once the first fruits have been picked, we see the general harvest taking place. But we also see another harvest taking place, and it's the harvest of grapes. You see, oftentimes in scripture you'll you'll hear about two harvests taking place. One is a grain, in other words, the wheat, when it's time to, 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 um, to harvest the wheat, and then there is a harvest of grapes. Turn with me to a couple of verses, and we'll have a look at, look at that. Numbers 18, 27. We'll just look at a couple of examples where there,
1: there's an allusion to two types of harvest that occur. Numbers 18, 27. And this your heave offering
0: shall be reckoned unto you as though it were the corn of the threshing floor and of and as the fullness of the wine press. So there's there's one harvest where you've got grain that's brought into the store, and then it's um it's it's uh, processed,
1: and then you have the fullness of the wine press. Turn to Second Kings chapter six, verse twenty seven. 2 Kings 6.27 says, And he
0: said, did I, not, did I give you the wrong reference? Sorry about that. 2 Kings 6.27 And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? So there's a distinction there. And we have a distinction here. We have a distinction in this passage between a harvest that takes place in the, on the threshing floor and another harvest that takes place that produces the wine. Okay, So there are, keep that in mind, there are two. Let's begin looking at, looking at the passage again. Revelation 14, 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he sat, and he that sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Well, the first thing we want to find out is, who is it that the scripture is talking about here? Who is sitting on the cloud and reaping? Who, who is it that has, that has a sickle, a golden crown, and he is like unto the Son of Man? Now, most of you are familiar with the term Son of Man, aren't you? Turn back to Daniel chapter 7, Verse thirteen and we'll look at we'll see a, a reference to nearly exactly the same thing that says life unto the Son of Man, and we'll see if we can confirm
1: the identity of this person. Daniel chapter seven verse thirteen. I saw in the night vision, visions, and behold,
0: one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Okay, this reference here is referring to who? Jesus. Pretty clear. Jesus is the one who will be the king, who will, who will be the king of a, a dominion or an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. Daniel goes on to explain that in a number of other passages where the kingdoms of this world will fall after all these years and an everlasting kingdom will be set up that will never die. And the king of that kingdom will be Jesus himself. So, verse 14 tells us that it's Jesus. Okay? And the actual reference is exactly the same. One like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. That's the, that's the reference we see in Revelation 14, 14. Now, the reason that it's an everlasting kingdom, there are two reasons that this kingdom will last forever. One, who gives Jesus the kingdom in Daniel chapter 7? It's the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is God himself. Jesus receives this kingdom from God himself, the creator of the universe, the one who is authorised to give the kingdom and to crown the king. In contrast to the uh, everlasting kingdom and the, the rightful uh, of the right of Jesus to sit on the throne, we have what? The Antichrist in the New Testament. Do you remember how he received his kingdom? his authority. Turn to Revelation chapter 13 verse 2 and we'll see a stark contrast between these two. Revelation 13 2 says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his authority. Who's the dragon here? It's the devil. So, we have this this stark contrast between the Antichrist receiving his, his seat, his power, and his authority in the earth from the devil directly. Is it an everlasting kingdom? No. And it's not an everlasting kingdom because, first of all, the devil doesn't have the right to give it and the devil is an everlasting himself as God. But in contrast, Jesus received the everlasting kingdom from his father and it's an everlasting kingdom and Jesus has the right to sit on the throne. So we see that contrast taking place. In the New Testament, we find that one of Jesus' favourite terms for himself is the Son of Man. He refers to himself many times in that respect. Turn to Mark chapter 13, verse 26, and we'll see a reference that Jesus makes himself in the second coming. In the time when he will return to this earth
1: on those clouds. Mark chapter 13, verse 26
0: says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This he was he spoke referring to himself and his return. So he confirmed that he is the Son of Man. And now let's look at the next thing that that confirms who he is, and that's the fact that that this reference says that he's coming in the clouds. Turn to turn to Revelation
1: chapter one verse seven. We'll just close up this argument with this verse. Revelation
0: chapter one, verse seven says, "Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Who was pierced? Jesus, for our sake. Jesus went to the cross and was pierced for the sin of man. Now, this reference says that he will return in or with. Clouds. Okay? In the reference of, uh, of in Revelation chapter fourteen, fourteen it says, And I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Okay, what does he do? Let's look at verse fifteen and sixteen. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. What's a sickle? There is a hammer and sickle, I know, in in someone's flag. A sickle is a small instrument with a curved blade, and what's it used for? It's used for cutting, isn't it? It's used for cutting, so you can cut... An amount, hold it, cut, and then you can you can bundle things together. Okay, and it's it's a harvesting tool. It's a sharp knife that cuts things. Let's turn to the uh, the Gospel of Mark to
1: find out a little bit more about this harvest. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. What type of harvest is this speaking about here? Mark chapter 13 verse 24 But in those days after the tribulation
0: the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Is that the same thing it's talking about? Yeah, pretty clear, isn't it? After the tribulation period, after the time of judgment on this earth, Jesus will return in the clouds and will send his angels to gather the elect. Who are the elect? Are they the unsaved or the saved? Saved, so this is a harvest of what, good or bad, of the good, and he says he collects them from the uttermost parts of the earth. So there's going to be no place where a Christian or or a believer will be that won't he won't be harvested, okay. And it also, an interesting thing it says it it also says to the uttermost part of heaven, that they'll all be gathered, okay. Here we have a clear reference to the second coming of Jesus. This is when Jesus will return. After the, the sun is darkened, the moon is not giving her light, the stars are going to fall from heaven, and the heavens are going to be shaken. And it's going to be to gather the believers. Okay? And this is probably for a, a very clear reason, you see. Let's go to the next one, and we'll, we'll find out a bit more about how this whole thing fits together. Revelation chapter 14, verse 17 now. It talks about another angel coming out. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. All right, so there's two of them now with sickles. Jesus was the first one, and now this angel the second one. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully right. It's interesting to note which angel came out from the temple or from the altar and said to the, uh, the one with the sickle, go and, uh, and harvest the earth. You'll notice it says that this angel in verse 18 came out from the altar and he had power over what? Fire. What's fire normally symbolic of in the Bible? Judgment. Okay? Okay? Let's go back a few a few chapters and let's let's clarify
1: that point. Revelation chapter eight verse four. Revelation eight four says, "And the smoke of the incense, which came
0: with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar." and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquakes. Do you see the parallel here? After the, prayers have offered up this, uh, after the saints have offered up their prayers, the angel fills a censer with fire and casts it to the earth. You know what happens right after that? The judgment. So this angel is linked with judgment upon the earth. You know, as I'm reading this, something struck me. You know, when I think of heaven, I don't think of, of, of a temple. But the Bible says there's a temple in heaven. What's a temple for? To worship. In other words, there's a huge place in heaven. It must be absolutely massive because it says that under the altar of this temple were the souls of the saints that had been beheaded. There wouldn't be just two or three under there, I'm assuming. This this temple must be so huge. It must be so glorious. Can you imagine, as we've met here today, in this place to worship together, what it must be like in heaven to go into the temple and to worship God? I think it's an absolute... When I think of it, my mind boggles. But back to the uh, the point. Revelation 8.4 and 8.5... Talk about the angel having authority over fire, calling on the angel with the sickle, go and, ha- go and reap this, this, uh, this uh, earth. And the interesting thing is that it doesn't, remember in the, first, the first harvest doesn't talk about it, what type of harvest, but this one it does. This one it says to harvest the grapes, because they are fully ripe. Now let's look at the results of that harvest in verse 19 and 20. So when this this angel harvests these grapes, what happens? And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. The imagery here is very clear. This is the pure wrath and judgment of God upon the ungodly, upon those who allied themselves with the Antichrist and with the devil and, and seek to rebel against God and his government. The picture is a very graphic representation of what will happen with that encounter. When I was young, most of you know I come from an Italian background, Italians love to do their own, make their own food and process their own foods. I remember we used to make our own sausages, we used to make our own tomato sauce and and uh, and, and things like that, and processed meats and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and one of the things we used to make was wine as well. It hasn't been a long time. It's been a very long time since uh, my grandfather made wine, but I remember when I was a young a young boy, we used to have this great this uh, wine press in his garage, and it was. It was basically, if you can imagine it, a, um, uh, like, a, like a barrel, but with slats of wood all the way around, but with holes between the wood. It wasn't completely sealed. And there was this, uh, this uh, column in the middle, which was basically just one big screw, and at the bottom of it was like a collecting uh, tray with a little tap at the front. And I remember uh, when I was young, I'd, I'd, I'd watch the men turning, they'd, they'd go around with this, uh, with this the pole that would come out from the middle, and they'd, they'd walk around this thing. And as they walked around, it would screw the top down. And the grapes that were inside, they'd buy literally the what are they called the castle boxes of grapes. As, the, as they were squeezed, you'd see this deep red um, juice coming out from, the, from this thing, and it would come out. And the smell I can still, I can still imagine today sometimes, it, you know, when the, the things you most vividly remember are the smells. Uh, of, the, of the times that you had. And uh, the smell of that juice uh, was absolutely wonderful. It went off after, after you fermented it, it, goes, it ruins it. But um, the the process was, was absolutely wonderful. So just to watch and just to be involved in the family sort of thing. But this is the image that we have of, of this particular event. The blood that will be spilled when God returns, when the Lord returns and this angel is sent to, to reap havoc, against this army, as it were, on this earth. It says, just, just as the blood is squeezed out of red grapes, the blood of men will flow freely at this point, and so much so that it even gives a description of how far this blood will flow and how high it will be. This, is, uh, this event is what we commonly refer to as Armageddon when the armies of the world will be gathered into one place to do battle. And the Lord will come and destroy them. The gathering of an immense army in which valley? Anyone know which valley that is? Jezreel? Megiddo. Yeah, Megiddo is called, Armageddon. And that's why this scripture says it's outside the city. You see, um, Jerusalem isn't attacked here. God does not judge Jerusalem as such. The judgment takes place outside of the city. This event is what we call normally Armageddon. And Armageddon or Megiddo is an ancient place of war and this place will be the, the, the scene of a final battle between the armies of the Lord and the armies of the earth or the Antichrist. And you know something? It's going to be a one-sided affair. Very one-sided. America talks about when they go into war using overwhelming force. Do they not? They bomb the living daylights out of, out of a place before they go in and send in their armies. Well, this is going to be overwhelming force, all right. Turn back with me to Isaiah, chapter 63, verse 2, as we, as we look at um, what Isaiah sees and what God says will take place as he treads his winepress.
1: Isaiah chapter 63 Verse 2 Therefore art thou
0: red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine-fat. I have trodden the wine-press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered, but there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Is that graphic enough picture for you? That's a terrible picture. God will come down to this earth and will trample those who have defied his authority, have defied him. The Bible says very clearly that when Jesus came to the earth, he came as the Lamb of God, meek and mild and gentle and merciful. But there will come a day when the mercy will cease. There will come a day when repentance will be no more, no more chance to repent. And God will come and judge the nations of this earth. And this is the result. God will unleash his fury on those who dare to ally themselves with the devil against him. And the God who created this universe will destroy all those with no mercy. And he promised it too. Revelation chapter 14 verse 9. says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, it says in verse 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Sometimes people have this idea that um, being in hell is being away from God, simply separation from God. Well, this doesn't actually say that. This
1: actually says that they're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lord and his angels. So the picture is very bleak. God will come and judge the earth.
0: But what about the results of the first harvest? What about the ones whom the Lord collected first? What happens to them? Well, let's look at verse chapter 15, verse 1. It says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Once again we have this glorious picture of victory for the ones who have submitted themselves to the Lord, who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, And who bowed the knee before the final judgment came. These were the ones who held out to the end, who weren't deceived by the devil and his bag of tricks. Can you imagine that scene? It says they're standing on a sea of glass, as if it had fire in it, and they're singing. It's a wonderful picture of triumph. And redemption, because the Lord has saved them. The Lord has put them in that place. And it's a similar picture to the 144,000, isn't it? The 144,000, you don't have to turn back, but it's chapter 14, 1. It says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sang they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and which were redeemed from the earth.
1: Is it interesting? The ones who are redeemed uh, in the general harvest have what are they doing? They're
0: singing. They're singing with harps. What are the 144,000 doing? They're singing with harps. It would seem the Lord gives them a new song to sing. They, have, they are singing a song of triumph. Do you know something? The Lord gives us a song to sing now, does he not? Let me read, let me read a passage of, the, of Psalms to you. I oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. This is
1: an exhortation to sing before the Lord. Do you have a reason to sing? You don't have to wait
0: until until you're given a harp until you're given a, a place in heaven, because we already have a place in heaven. The Lord has already, already, the Bible says, seated us with Christ in heavenly places. We have reason to sing now. Turn to Psalm chapter 40. I want to read a, a passage together.
1: And I'd like us to reflect on, uh, on where our lives are.
0: Psalm 40, verse 1 to 4, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my going. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, he even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Can I ask you a question this morning? Does that describe you
1: today? Does this passage describe you in any way? Have you been, have you been pulled from a pit?
0: Have you had your feet planted firmly on a rock? Has the Lord established your life now and where you're going? Do you sing a new song because you've put your trust in Him?
1: Or are you still playing an old broken record that keeps going around in circles? If that's you today, if you don't have that new song in your heart, if you don't have a reason
0: to sing... Paul says to, to, to sing and make melody in your heart unto the Lord. We have a reason to sing each and every day. The question is, do you have that hope within your heart that gives you that song? Because if you don't, there is a song that God has ready for you. Yes, you're all singers. A song that you can sing from your heart because of the joy that God puts there makes it so you can't help but sing. Why would you wait another moment from receiving that joy? Why would you continue to sing a song that says, I did it my way, when you know, well and good, doing it your way, never did it properly and never achieved anything? Do you have that new hope in your heart? Do you have that strong foundation under your feet? Or do you feel your life is still trapped in a pit, in miry clay? If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, you know something? It's not that difficult a procedure to do. There aren't all these steps involved. There aren't classes you even have to attend, believe it or not. You simply need to repent, understand that you're a sinner and believe what he did for you on the cross, that he is who he said he is and he rose again on the third day. Receive him as your Lord and Saviour today and start singing a new song. And for those of you who, who have had the song,
1: who know the song, but aren't singing anymore, are you too wrapped up in the problems of this world? Where's the joy in your life? What's happened to it?
0: We have many reasons to sing. Brother Alan said this morning, now, one of the things we, we don't do sometimes well enough is to appreciate what God's done. Now, if you understand, if we understand how much the Lord has done for us, appreciation, gratitude will cause you to sing. Because you know something? We never deserve, we didn't deserve any of it. But the Lord continues to bless day after day, day after day, day after day. He gives his blessings when we, where we neither deserve it, and, and many times we don't even ask for it. Lord, is indeed gracious and merciful to us each and every day. I want to leave you with a picture. And I was mentioning this to Brother Alan before. It came while I was contemplating uh, the image of Jesus coming in the clouds. And I thought to myself, what sort of clouds are these? Are these nimbulous clouds or uh, cumulus? Or are, they, are they dark clouds, white clouds? And Because there's a few scriptural references that says that they're clouds of heaven. I thought to myself, is there clouds in heaven? Does it rain in heaven? I thought to myself, no, that probably doesn't rain in heaven. Although I haven't been there myself, so I can't, I can't tell you. But then I, a few, when I read a few scriptural verses, I went through, I went through a, a few um, uh, scriptural verses that speak about the coming of Jesus. And I noticed something. Okay? Why would Jesus have to be riding on a cloud to come back to the earth? Did he ride a cloud to go up?
1: He did. Did he have to? What are these clouds? What are these clouds that the scripture is talking about? I looked at a few references. Turn, turn with to Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. I want to leave you with this interesting picture in your mind.
0: And the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, he comes back with clouds, on clouds, uh, and, and, and a number of other descriptions that concern clouds. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with who? His angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now that, that struck me. Okay, so Jesus is not coming back just by himself, sitting on a cloud, is he?
1: He's coming back with angels. How many angels are there? 10, 20, 30? Okay.
0: Turn to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I think some of you are already starting to see
1: where I'm going with this. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11.
0: Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a, goeth a sharp sword, with, uh, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. There's our reference to the winepress again. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now this is speaking about the triumphal return of, of Jesus riding on a what? A horse. What colour is the horse? It's white. Okay. But it also says that he comes with the armies of heaven. Okay, question. What colour are they wearing?
1: White. What colour horses do they ride? What's Jesus is he sitting or is he standing? He's sitting,
0: just as the verse says in uh, in Revelation chapter fourteen that he's sitting on a cloud. It would seem. Revelation fourteen fourteen says, "And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle." When I read these passages, something dawned on me. Now I'm not telling you that this is. Uh, uh, Gospel law, 100%, right? But this seems to me to fit very well. How would it look to someone on the earth as millions of the armies of heaven are coming down through the atmosphere clothed in white, riding white horses and the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle? How would it look to you? How would millions and millions... Because the Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, that a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. How many angels do you think there are? How many of the armies of heaven are there? If you can imagine the sight, if you're on the earth, of the Lord Jesus Christ and millions and millions of, of the armies of heaven riding down coming down upon the earth, what would that look like to you? It would look like clouds. It would literally look like white clouds that were coming down to the earth, would it not? I think that's a fantastic picture. I think that if you, if you think about that, and if you think about the awesome picture that that is, the Lord Jesus Christ with eyes of flame, a sword coming out of his mouth, With millions of his servants behind him descending upon the earth, imagine the picture. I'll leave that with you to think about. I'll leave you with that image. The question today is, though, where will you be?
1: Will you be one of those ones riding in that army coming down from heaven?
0: Or will you be one of the ones on the earth whose heart stops when they see that cloud coming down? The choice is yours today. The Bible says that there's a time of grace. God is gracious. But there's there's going to come a day when the grace stops for this whole earth and the time of judgment begins. But for each and every one of us, there's a time when grace stops and that's when we die. We don't know if we're going to die today or tomorrow. Why risk another day if you haven't given yourself and your heart to him now? Don't wait. Don't wait. God bless you. Thank you.